0: everyone and welcome to episode 157 of the Justin insight podcast a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it as always i'm your host tim burkbeck and i am coming to you from my sweaty sweaty bedroom on what is the hottest day of the year so far i'm absolutely melting being someone of fair skin complexion and having long thick ginger hair as well is not helping um, I'm doing everything I can to keep cool but it's fucking hot today. Um, I'm recording this sort of intro a little bit ahead of time for, from usual because I'm actually finally venturing out outside of lockdown. Um going to see my best friend in, in Bristol, catch up with them because I haven't seen them in six months. So yeah, going to keep this very, very brief because I want to get this all edited and loaded and ready to go for the Tuesday drop. Um, but first... As always, just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who checked out last week's episode with Tyler from Year of the Knife. Got a really, really good, really, really good response um, from that episode, so it's much appreciated. Um, it seems a lot of people were kind of digging what Tyler had to say about obviously the the creation of the new record and sort of the kind of straight edge aspect of the band as well. I think people have kind of spoken about it before, but it was nice to kind of delve into it a little bit deeper um their record is out this friday so make sure you go check that out um as all also sorry scrambling let's try that one again also if you like this show you like what you hear please subscribe rate review on whatever podcast podcast platform god i can't talk today podcast platform you are listening to listening to it on oh my god i really can't talk today um so yeah, that'll be massive, and if you want to support the show even further, then you can visit our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash just an insight podcast. There's four different tiers that you can help us out on. Um, yeah, be really, really appreciative if you can do that. Um, but yeah, as I said, going to keep this short and sweet, so we're going to go straight into our guest this week, and I'm joined by the man behind Cremation Lily and maths vocalist Zenzigo. Um quick little caveat I seem to be doing these a little bit more but this was the first chat that I recorded post getting all my new equipment so I was very much still learning what the fuck I was doing with my microphone Um, so the audio may not be amazing but I've done what I can to sort of cut out any lags or overlaying of, of us talking together so please just bear that in mind but anyway During the chat, we discussed how Zen kind of discovered music through sort of his mum and and sort of discovering artists such as Bjork, um, how Maths became sort of a pivotal band in the UK scene, especially in the Screamo scene when there wasn't particularly one around at the time, um, and how he kind of made the turn into creating Cremation Lily and how that's now taken off and has opened doors that maybe had previously been closed to him. So, yeah this is a really cool chat i've known zen for for a few years i put maths on a couple of times back when i was doing shows so it was really nice to to catch up with him so please sit back enjoy the chat i have with zen and i'll see you on the other side Right, so joining me this week on the Just an Insight podcast is the man behind Cremation Lily, Zen Zigo. Zen, thank you very much for taking some time out of your day to have a little chat with me. Um, How's everything in your world? How have you kind of been, because we're still currently, well, kind of in lockdown, but how's sort of lockdown period been treating you? How have you kind of been dealing with things at the moment? Yeah, everything's good, thank you very much. Um, So...
1: Basically everything changed the week of that lockdown came in in the UK. I think it came in on a Monday, and on the Saturday, just before I left my job, moved into a house that my wife and I had had bought and that needed a lot of work doing to it. And basically, and then lockdown started, and so I kind of feel like I'm in a For the past few months, I've just felt like I'm in a dreamland where I, you know, nothing's the same. Nothing is how I remember it being. (laughs) Everything's completely different. It would have kind of been like this anyway, um, in terms of the house and the job and everything. Um, But yeah, things are going good. Just working on the house, um, making as much music as possible. I left my job to tour, you know, nonstop, basically. Um, And little did I know a global sort of virus would come along and everything else that's happening right now um so yeah I'm just just recording as much music as possible um spending as much time as possible with my with my partner and our cat and trying to enjoy as much as I can from home and um just doing those now that lockdown is easing a little bit just doing those sort of sensible um sort of you know, not Saturday trips to the beach, but like sensible, small, <laughs> sustainable trips to you know just just go to a bird hide on a on a Thursday evening or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, ironically, like I kind of had a similar sort of situation. So a bit earlier than than yourself, but I quit the job that I was in at the tail end of last year to pursue touring as much as possible, more on the kind of management, roadie side of things and had numerous tours booked up until now sort of thing and was on tour when this all started kicking off and as you say at the flip of a switch everything's just kind of completely gone <laughs> so a yeah. bit weird but I guess I guess you've kind of had the the house to kind of focus your mind in and obviously say making as much music as possible
2: mm-hmm
1: Yeah, it's been, it's not been so bad. Uh, I've had three tours cancelled or rescheduled uh, that were kind of set in stone um, in this time. And the what, I was meant to have a dispute supporting them in April, and I think that's been rescheduled for November now. Yeah. Um, so fingers crossed that will happen, and fingers crossed you know the live music industry is back up and running by then. If it's if it's not and it's still not safe, then I'm sure it will be <clears throat> postponed again. Um, so I haven't. I've just felt like so much changed, but I'm just happy that I've you know got enough to be keeping busy with. And I had um, <clears throat> the EP um, tape that came out um, recently called More Songs About Drowning came out. Um, at the end of April, and that was something that kind of took me through that first month of lockdown, and yeah. um, just preparing that and getting the tapes made and everything else. Um, and then since then, I kind of took a little bit of time to a little bit of time to just focus on the house and myself and my family. And now I'm back into recording pretty much every day and working on new um, new uh, tape releases for my label as well, Strange Rules
0: um yeah I'm just just back to back to normal really <laughs> yeah well we'll get into it in a bit more detail but I'm assuming you've kind of got a, a sort of like a home studio setup that you're able to kind of do everything with
2: mm-hmm.
1: um <clears throat> so at the moment I don't
0: really because
1: we, we haven't been in this house that long and because of right. the lockdown we haven't been able to get any um like electricians or things like that in so okay. all, all of the kitchen stuff, the cooker and everything is in or was in until last weekend to the room that was going to be my studio. So it has nowhere <laughs> else to go. So at the moment, I'm just recording everything, um, just doing basically everything with um, just everything line in to the laptop, basically. Um, yeah. And then recording vocals in, in a corner of the room with uh, with a blanket. Sort of up against the wall, basically, um, <laughs> yeah. and just going back to how I used to do things. But I have yeah. um, at, at different times, I've had sort of a little home home studio setups of various sizes, and that is the plan here. Um, and I think eventually the idea is to get it. it it's never going to be anything fancy, but if it serves me well, um, then I'll open it up to sort of the underground music community and that's you know, cool. Offer my offer my services. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, as I said, we'll kind of get on track of what, what the show's about. I always kind of like to kind of kick off by taking my guests back to their, their roots and their origins, so to say. So what can you remember being sort of like your first exposure to kind of alternative music? What kind of got piqued your interest, so to say?
2: Hmm.
1: I don't know exactly. Um, I What I do remember is uh, when I was growing up... Um, the first music that I um, sort of got into on my own was um, I found a Bjork CD, Bjork's first album debut, yep. um, in my mum's CD collection, and the cover just drew me in, and I started listening to that. And I guess that that took me down a road of um, sort of electronic music and um, different, you know, producers um, that she later worked with. Um, so i guess that took me on to you know square pusher and apex twin and um various other electronic artists um and then there was a i i guess i i can't remember how i got into it like uh sort of emo and post hardcore um you know one of my favorite bands thursday was one of the first bands that i heard of that um of that scene um and actually, just recently worked with Jeff on a song on the on the tape that came out recently, the Commissioning Tape. Um, so, listening to those bands, I think it was just through school friends and and hearing bits and pieces here and there, um, and you know, um, trading CDR burnt CDs with each other. Um, and then, when we got the internet at home, I think I was about fifteen or sixteen when we got the internet. So I was just um, using like WinMX or Kazar or whatever you could use at the time to illegally download music and you'd <laughs> yeah. search for, you'd search for an artist and then you'd get, you know, a list of their songs and 50% of the time it wouldn't actually be that artist or yeah, that song. Yeah. you'd end up hearing, like I, I heard literally dozens upon dozens of bands that I love, Hopeful, for example, um, I heard because one of their songs was incorrectly tagged as Thursday or as you know, <laughs> some other band that I liked at the time. Um, so I, I, I think my music, um, interest expanded really rapidly as soon as the as soon as I got the internet, um, and you could look into you know who influenced these bands or what comes up when you when you Google search this band or when you go yeah, on yeah. on the uh, you know. <clears throat> I don't I mean it's hard to imagine what the internet was like back then I, I experienced it but I can't actually remember exactly what it was like
0: but no all I can really da- remember is the is the dial tone and waiting about a year for like an album to download sort of yeah thing. exactly there was
1: real there was a real wait even though uh, you know it was not supporting the artists in any way it felt like you'd really earned that download you know, <laughs> yeah. really bad quality download really tinny hi-hats on everything and yeah um yeah it was just it was just a case of naturally just slowly organically widening my my um my horizons in terms of music starting with bjork going through to different electronic um music and then um getting into punk and hardcore and emo
0: so have you kind of always had, I guess, like an inquisitive brain in that aspect with music? Because like, obviously, we'll get onto to the, the dynamics of what your the music you create is. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there's a lot of scope from going to what you started with in maths to what you're doing now in cremation, Lily. Really. So mm-hmm. have you always kind of had that hunger to seek out new music and, and kind of approached it with an open mind?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um... I've definitely, I think through, so I started the label called Strange Rules in 2010, and we did the first tape um, at the start of 2011. Um, And I think through doing that label, since then obviously I'm looking for interesting new music and I'm working with artists that I like, um, and I'm always discovering new things through that. Um, But even before then I was, you know, as I say, searching for the influences of the bands that I liked or where that sound came from. I'm one of those people that if I find a band that I like, I want to go back to their first record or their first demos yeah, yeah. and go through chronologically to find that sort of... I, I find it really interesting, the, the different paths that artists can take. Um, so I guess that kind of has influenced everything that I do, you know, having these different... Um, these different left turns and stylistic differences in in what you do, and never staying the same and just doing the same album over and over again. Um, I've always been really interested in in trying to push myself outside of the, those comfort zones. And if it's easy to make to me, then I don't want to. I don't want to do it anymore. You know, as soon as it becomes <laughs> yeah. easy, I'm, I'm done
0: with it. And in, in terms of you, kind of wanting to explore making music and, and things like that obviously we now know you in in terms of kind of the more sort of noise electronical world with cremation early, but personally my first introduction with you was obviously through maths where mm-hmm. you were the vocalist so but like were you kind of interested in sort of playing any instruments when you were younger did you kind of dabble in that world where did your kind of jumping off point into actually making music come from
1: um so the first music that I made I First time that I can remember, um, sort of specifically trying to make music that was not just you know playing around on a keyboard as a kid um, or playing recorder in school is um, that I had a, I got a cassette um, sort of deck that had a, a built-in microphone. Right. So I started off as a kid just recording like stories and things like that onto audio tape that I'd written for some reason. Never going to who they were for. I don't know really. But <laughs> yeah. um, then that turned into me doing like the playing the keyboard behind that as a like a theme song. And then that, as I got older, turned into me sort of getting rid of the storytelling and then just playing the music. Um, and then eventually what I started doing, because I was interested in, i wanted drums and keyboard i and there were drum sounds built in on the keyboard but you couldn't do both at the same time because you had to just go between the presets yeah the preset sounds i would um, take the i would record the drums onto the little portable tape player take the tape out of there put it into the like the sound, like the they don't really they don't really exist anymore. But like the sort of stack of like the tape deck and the CD deck and the turntable yeah, yeah, on yeah. top that was in the living room that was my parents put the tape with the drums on in there, play that out through the speakers, then get my other tape deck that was my personal one with the inbuilt microphone and play the keyboard melody along and record it all back onto a single tape. So I had like very very rudimentary overdubbing when I was probably about nine or ten years old oh um, wow probably might might have been uh yeah probably about nine um and then it just kept going from there i you know used various different tools um there was a game or well not a game like a, a application on the playstation um called music which was like a very rudimentary sort of looping digital audio workstation basically yes. i think it, it did have like midi style capabilities but i never delved into that so i made lots of music like that and recorded through the headphone output on the tv straight onto tape um <laughs> I've got, I, I i later released some of those songs as well years and years ago um and then as i started getting more into as i said before as I started getting more into the sort of um punk and hardcore scenes um i started playing guitar um, with a guitar that I think I got from my I think it was from my grandparents' loft, and it used to be my, my dad's guitar or something like that. And it, I just yep. remember it being incredibly heavy. It was so, not in terms of tone, but the actual weight of the guitar was so heavy. <laughs> yeah. And it was almost impossible for me to play. Um, but I, I learned a little bit of guitar that way and started writing little sort of little guitar-based demos um, using drum machine and, and distorted guitar. Um, that sort of was kind of rudimentary screamo sort of sound um, and then I think was in my first band when I was about 16 16 or 17 um, and then that was very short-lived and didn't go anywhere and then uh, I think math started when I was 18 I believe yeah um, so and then that is what what you know we stuck with for quite a few years and, and um, my main focus in terms of music for quite a long time um, yeah but I, I definitely took a lot of the um, interests that I had in terms of like home recording and in terms of DIY that all like fed perfectly it was like the hardcore scene was made for me from a you know, yeah. young age it was I, when, when uh, we decided to record everything at, the dru- uh, um, at Alfie the drummer in Math's house I was like oh is I thought that's just what all recording was I didn't realize you could go to a studio <laughs> and do things so I didn't I was perfectly happy with home recording the whole time
0: yeah and in terms of that like kind of as you say kind of like learning to kind of overdub tapes from a very young age sort of thing mm-hmm. how did you kind of figure out how to do that because obviously like nowadays you can just go onto YouTube and find a tutorial but like yeah to to kind of come up with that at such a young age like it's quite impressive so were you shown how to do that or did was it just sort of trial and error
1: no I just I just um I guess I just kind of figured it out as I went along and I remember as well like making the covers and the, for the tapes and like hand drawing them and then later on when we got a computer using paint to Microsoft Paint to create the cover art as well, and I remember the 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 first sort of the first tape that I made when I did the sort of drums and the keyboard separately. I think it was probably you named know, there's probably like twenty songs songs on there, um, quote yeah. unquote. Um, and the the cover art was a hand drawn picture of uh, of uh, well, it was just sort of scribbled blue sky and then white clouds over it and then the ocean underneath which was just like a (laughs) scribble and it's like I still have that aesthetic to this day (laughs) the first take that I ever that I ever remember creating by hand you know making the artwork for and everything is basically exactly what I'm doing right
0: now and this is kind of a little bit off subject but it's just something I wanted to to talk to you about because I've sort of heard you mention it in other interviews and things like that but for a period of your early life you grew up in Greece so Mm -hmm. like obviously I know you were quite young but can you sort of remember much of that time and was there kind of anything in that environment that kind of influenced what you did musically at all? No so I
1: lived there when I think I was about three and we lived there for one or two years, maybe somewhere in oh, okay. like eighteen months or so. Um so I can't it's not really the only thing I remember from there was I was stung by a jellyfish. Oh no. Um, <laughs> and I had a my one of my birthdays that I had there had a uh, teenage Mutant ninja turtles cake with sparklers on it. And that was pretty much all I... I could remember.
0: Fair <laughs> <laughs> sure enough. And the other thing that I always kind of ask before, like getting into sort of the band specific and so on and so forth, is kind of, I think a gateway for a lot of people is going to their first gig and kind of experiencing what the live kind of music experience was like. So for you, what was your kind of gateway into sort of experiencing live music? Like, were you going to many shows as a youngster? Like, where did that all kind of start from?
1: so i don't remember exactly what my first show ever was but i definitely remember the hype so i i grew up um i moved to norwich when i was um about eight or nine and then lived there until i was about um in my early 20s so that was kind of you know it's where i did a lot of my um basically all my band years were spent there um All of my sort of starting to make music years were spent there, and I just remember the the buzz building up in school at the age of about thirteen about the one of the venues in Norwich, the waterfront, which is not a great venue by any stretch of the imagination, but (laughs) for some reason, to thirteen year old school children, we were just obsessed with it. And someone's older brother or something had gone there, and I remember it was forty yet to be fourteen and over to go in. So we were right. all waiting, um, for the, you know, our friendship group to all be 14. And then the first show we went to together was, um, sponge, which was like a ska punk band Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. um, at the, at the Norwich waterfront. That was the first one I remember going to all together, but I'd definitely been to, to gigs before with like my, with my parents or cause my, my dad is a, or, or used to be a musician. Um, but I definitely experienced different smaller gigs um, beforehand, um, but that was the first one that I can remember sort of being really excited for. I don't think I ever actually listened to that band or liked them, but it's just the experience <laughs> yeah. of like you and all your friends are excited for it, and it 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 felt like this like big moment, you know. they probably I think it was probably their sort of tenth show of the year in Norwich. They were they were there all the time, but. Um, yeah that was a big one and then um, and then just kept going to to different shows and I went to a um lots of shows at the ferry boat in Norwich as well, which is it closed down quite some years ago now, but um, saw uh, lots of um, hardcore bands there, like um what did I see there saw like bleeding through and Throwdown and for some reason lots of trust kill bands played yeah at the ferry boat. Uh, I guess there was someone putting them on at the time, but they also they always had the local support. So then I would find the the local bands and then I could go to their shows and it just sort of spiraled out from there from about the age of mm. fourteen onwards until um, until we started maths um, and then we sort of became part of it.
0: Yeah. And then in terms of, because I think like from an outside perspective, like when I was younger, as you kind of mentioned, like the sort of kill bands and things like that, like when you look at the tour poster, Norwich was always kind of like a staple on tours, especially like back in the early 2000s. So was that kind of like a a feeding ground for you in terms of like what shaped, not necessarily how maths sounded, but like the kind of DIY, like punk it, ethos that you had that because you had this sort of abundance of gigs coming through the town that you kind of got a flavor of it sort of thing
2: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah definitely I think so few people go to go to like a a DIY show and don't think I want to do this you know
2: yeah Um, (laughs) yeah
1: and don't think I can do this (laughs) um because it seems so attainable you know um yeah so, yeah, I remember the way the band started. I had my band before that and then stopped doing it. And then I was just making basically screamo type songs on my own. And I would hire a, a, a practice space and I would go and I would, you know, record the guitar and record the vocals and use the drum machine and everything. And I was just making little, I wish I could find them. I've been looking for them for years, but I think they're on an ancient hard drive that's long yes. since perished. Um, but i was basically just making sort of inspired by the stuff that i was into at the time so like um things like thursday and um like the the trust kill bands and just the like you know the mainstream alternative music that you could buy in you know virgin mega stores or wherever else i was getting music at the time um and then i posted on a, a forum that's like a norwich alternative music forum um, called Norwich Darkside. That I wanted to start a, a band. Listed some of the things that I liked, um, and then the people that were and are still in Maths um, got in touch with me. So we just we
0: just started that way. In terms of like the band that you did before Maths, like were you doing vocals in that, or were you doing guitar? Like what what was that band? <clears throat> So I only
1: ever did um, vocals. I think any band I've, most bands that I've been in, I've, I've just done vocals. Um, later on in maths for a short period, I did do bass for a couple of shows. But that was just out of necessity, really, because we didn't have a bassist at the time. But yeah, um, I've always just, just focused on vocals, mainly in bands.
0: It, was that kind of... A- not something through necessity, but was that something that you were always kind of drawn to in in terms of kind of wanting to not necessarily be a front person, so to say, but like, I don't know, because you said obviously like from early on you were doing these kind of spoken word stories sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. have you always kind of had that sort of creative mind in terms of writing and then kind of wanting to further that into a platform of performing, so to say?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's always been... I think I think so often like you're either a front man through necessity or like a little bit of narcissism or a mix <laughs> yeah. of both. So it's either, so I think for me it was like a mix of both. Like I had this creative drive, like I was writing things anyway, and I've always been I've always written quite a lot. So then that turns, you know, naturally into lyrics. Um and I've always had that drive to like I've always had that drive to like um to want to express that and, you know, want to get that out into the world as opposed to, you know, lots of people just write or make music for themselves. And I was never that way. I always wanted to, what I was making, I wanted to be able to, to, to put out and, you know, play shows with and um, share with people as much as possible.
0: Yeah. And then in terms of maths, like, so I think the first time I came across you guys was, the split with throats and I think that kind of opened up a lot of people to, to who you were and what you were kind of about sort of thing mm. and like this could be just my personal experience or thing but especially by the time we got to Descent like I hadn't heard a band that sounded like math, so I wasn't really too familiar with that style of screamo sort of thing and it, it, like your band opened me up to a lot of what obviously then went through a various back catalogue of bands that were there in the 90s sort of thing but mm. did you kind of find that people were discovering screamo through your band yeah
1: absolutely it happened i think i think now i i think back on it and obviously when so maths you know haven't done much for quite a while at this point but um when we did Um, a record just uh, maybe like five years ago or so we were thinking about the history of the band and as we were writing the record we were thinking a lot about the history of the band and I think it was that there was a real really interesting time maybe it's still there maybe it still happens but I'm not involved in it at all but we were just a band that were self-recording everything and we didn't know what we were doing really and all the shows we played were you know for you know 20 quid and we were we were we weren't a real band by any means <laughs> yeah. but we but because that split and then the album and then the EP and everything that came after came out at such a specific time I guess that like the internet was and sort of social media and myspace were becoming um more accessible um and all of the information for like um the history of of you know, underground subgenres were becoming more attainable. I think we were kind of that gateway for lots of people, and, and countless people have said that that split or the album that we did afterwards were kind of their introduction to to finding out more about like underground screamo bands. Um, mm-hmm. And it was the exact same for for me as well. I found out about all those screamo bands after, like, just as math started. Basically, the the post that I put in the forum. Um, to start the band was listed like the bands I was into, and it was all the like Trust kill bands and um, all the post-hardcore bands that I liked at the time. And then our guitarist um, who got in touch with me, he was the one that was brought all of that sort of um, knowledge about these you know old screamer and emo bands. With him, mm. he was a couple of years older than us, so. He had a lot more, and he'd lived in um, San Diego, so he had firsthand experience of some of the some of these bands, um, and yeah, it was kind of, that was my introduction to all of it, and then that obviously just let, fed into the material and was more and more inspiring. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was, I think that split, especially on the throat side as well, was like a gateway for a lot of
0: people. Yeah, and in terms of like. Because you mentioned there like obviously you you kind of got introduced to that sound as well through Matt joining on guitar and and things like that. And I guess like when you first kind of started to form the band, Mm -hmm. obviously, as you say, you were kind of like bringing in this idea of sort of like the post-hardcore sort of bands and things. And he was bringing in the kind of 90s screamo kind of thing. I'm guessing knowing Alfie a little bit, he was just happy to play drums, sort of thing. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Um, he was, in, but
0: he was like, in several other bands at the time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of kind of like the embryonic stages of maths when you were kind of hashing out ideas, w- was the kind of Screamo tag, quote-unquote, something that was talked about, or was it just something that kind of naturally came to be how you guys ended up sounding? Um. We we never really, apart from
1: like talking about bands that we liked, we never in terms of the sound of the band talked about like specific influences. It was, we just, we just showed up and, and Matt would come with, you know, an idea for a song and then we would figure it out basically. Um, I guess at the time we, you know, I just, we just thought we were, uh, you know, a punk, hardcore, metal, screamo, emo, rock, you know we were just whatever we whatever we wanted to do basically the first song that we wrote was um i can't remember what it's called on the on the recording but it was we did a like a 2007 discography cd thing years and years ago that i think still on Bandcamp. and the first song on that is the first song that we wrote together and it basically just <clears throat> sounds like um just sounds like you know screamo basically yeah. As we as we would think about it now. Um, or like, you know, Circle takes the square or something like that. Um, but much rougher. Um, yeah, and that's just kind of what came out with the um with the various influences. I think as you say, Alfie was just happy to play fast drums and do as <laughs> yeah. many blast beats and um and accented blast beats as possible. And I was just happy to have to figure out something i could do in a band and feel like because like i said i'd been writing songs on guitar and doing those things before already before but i hadn't really i i didn't have the inclination to like play live i was quite nervous about it whereas as soon as i found vocals i was much more confident in playing live and felt like that was something that i could um something that i could like not mess up
0: too much you know yeah In in terms of like that, because I think it's very interesting, especially for like vocalists, like how they kind of approach things. And like within maths and later kind of in cremationally, it's still there a little bit, but your sort of vocal style is very synonymous with that kind of screamo sound, but like obviously it's not as rough as the, the stuff that we'd heard in the early 90s, kind of say. Mm-hmm. But did, I don't want to say you kind of like honed it and practiced it, but was that something that you were conscious of, of like how your voice sounded? Or like when you got in that first practice room and kind of started hashing out maths, was that just what kind of came out and you were like, oh, that's cool?
1: Yeah. The, the first. Demos and little EPs that we did were just like whatever came out during during practice and the recording. That was what it was. There was not really any thought put into it. It Was typically just one take, or you know, do a second layer on the end part or something. It was very little um, thought put into it. Um, And then with Descent, with the full length album, that was the first time that we start. I started thinking about the vocals as kind of a musical element and something that should probably have like rhythm and melody and like, um, sort of more of a cadence to it. Um, so I think there is a, there's a jump between like the throats, the split with throats and then the descent album in terms of my vocals and how I thought about them at least. Um, I don't think they, they, they probably didn't sound great, but, um, as soon as I got the idea of like, they should be not just a sort of not just sort of a caustic element but actually have tonality and um and rhythm to them um, that just sort of evolves slowly over the next couple of releases
2: and
0: I want to touch on this just because i've I had you speak about another interview and but I just want to kind of get your perspective now looking back on it but I heard that the first kind of I guess quote-unquote proper gig that Maps had that you ended up getting in a bit of a fight so yeah so like in that aspect like I don't want to obviously go over the details and stuff but like was that kind of an eye-opener for you in terms of like oh we're stepping into this world kind of thing because there wasn't specifically a screamo scene at the time so was that quite daunting for you as a teenager like oh shit like this is where we're at kind of thing yeah i hadn't
1: i hadn't thought about that in years oh my god so we we played our first show ever was at our our first bassist at his house um it was just like a house party and we played a five minute set or something um, and that was our first, you know, our first show, quote unquote. But then, just after that, we played—I can't even remember what band it was. Some British, actually, maybe it was American. Some hardcore band, basically. And yeah, we we just—I can't remember exactly what led up to it at this point. It's been so long. I mean, this is this is two thousand and six or the early 2007 at, at the latest um so i can't really remember much about it but yeah basically we we ended up getting um getting sort of beaten up by by uh hardcore bands basically <laughs> <laughs> which was which was quite cool and then our, i and then i do remember actually yeah there was an american band there because then they came and tried to find us afterwards and and said like please don't Tell the police or anything because we're on tour and we need to get to the next tour date or something. (laughs) I was just like, "Well, not gonna, you know, go fuck yourselves." eh? A and um, yeah, that was. I remember that causing a little bit of drama at the time. Um, But you know, it was just uh, basically after that, we I think we really quickly realised and something that persisted throughout the. Maths all along was like we just wanted to be our own scene, you know. We wanted, yeah. yeah. And that's what I've always tried. I think that stayed with me through doing, you know, working in noise and electronic music, and and um, I I don't want to necessarily be. I don't see something. I want to be part of that. I want to, you know, create. I want to be part of our own thing, and I want to draw the people that have the energy that and have the um, sort of have the the type of people around that you know you want to be around you don't want to you don't want to be a a screamo band and get beaten up at the hardcore gig (laughs) for being too screamo you want to just be the screamo band that people come to see you know yeah yeah Um, so yeah yeah we just tried to try to create our own little scene around ourselves after that
2: yeah
1: uh, stick to ourselves and
0: And in terms of kind of like, I guess sort of now more so, like it's kind of one of those things, like absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing. But I don't know, like in terms of my relationship with Masters, as I say, like I've been a fan of you guys since the kind of split and things like that. But there seemed to be, I guess, kind of a bit of a buzz around you guys once Descent had kind of come out sort of thing and sort of around that. So And obviously, I know you guys were kind of touring quite actively and, and things like that. But was there a point where for you personally, you kind of like clicked and thought, oh, people are actually paying attention to what we're doing and are actually giving a shit about this band rather than it just being us guys doing what we want kind of thing?
2: Um
1: I think not really. I think there was definitely moments like that, like we would be on tour and we would you know, stop at a service station and look in an issue of rock sound or whatever. And we were in it. And to, you know, to kids that were just recording music in their own house and didn't think too much about it, that seemed like quite a big deal. But then the reality would set in and would go to the next show and there'd be 20 people there and it would be sound terrible and, you know, <laughs> we'd <laughs> yeah. get in a fight or something. Um, and then the reality would set in that, you know, well, you know, we are just playing a show for 20 people and that you know this is just what we're doing um the only time it kind of came into focus and i personally really realized that people cared about the band was when we had the four years off or so um after ascent had come out and then um i think it must have been 2014 2015, yeah somewhere I think 2014 we played a week of shows as sort of a our first tour in many years and on those shows I realized people care about this band and and people know our our songs and they yeah they, they you know they, it means it's not just us making it wasn't just us making music in our bedroom it what it actually turned it actually got out there and and people actually heard it um and now they're at the shows
0: yeah and just in terms of like Descent I want to kind of focus on something specifically just because again it was kind of something that opens me up to a different kind of style of especially the lyricism like songwriting in terms of obviously later because you've mentioned Circle Takes the Square I later then kind of went back and realized oh this isn't not not being discrediting to you but it's not something necessarily new but
2: Mm. it's
0: an interesting concept but I've read that with Descent you kind of the way you approached it is kind of writing it as one body of work rather than as individual songs kind of thing, Mm -hmm. specifically in terms of the lyrics. So was that something that you found quite difficult? Was it something quite enjoyable? And have you kind of stuck to that method throughout or how you kind of approach things? Has that kind of changed and evolved, especially right up to now what you're doing with Cremation Italy?
1: Yeah, I think with that album in particular, there wasn't really a thought in my mind it just it just was the all the lyrics that i had when we went to the when i went to record the vocals were just sort of were just pages upon pages of different things that went straight through there wasn't like distinct i wrote these words as lyrics to a song they were just it was just basically you know diary or you know a poetry book or whatever that i'd been writing in um and then they just went straight into the, they went, just went straight onto the album um, in kind of in the order that, because we, we tracked the vocals in the order that the album's in. So it kind of has this right. chronological order through it. Um, and then when it came time to to mix it, I think that album has a fairly continuous mix to it. I haven't listened to it for a long time, but the songs kind of lead into each other or at least some of yeah, them do. Yeah. Um, And that was just kind of a, that was just a thought, I think, after we'd realised that the vocals have this through line um, and the lyrics have this through line, that was just a thought of, you know, getting, constructing the album in that way. Um, We always played our sets as like a continuous, you know, I think we we used to say, no gaps, no claps. and Just, just, uh, you know, it always seemed a bit self-congratulatory to, stop after each song to wait for the adoring fans to clap. Um, but because we had no fans, it was just better to just <laughs> play the complete, you know, the complete 15 or 20 minute set all the way through and then wait for the uh, rousing applause. But um, yeah, that idea of like having that through line just came from, just came from the lyrics really. And just the fact that mm. the lyrics came directly from um from like a diary or a book, uh, a poetry book that I, I had with me at the time. Um, yeah. And then that went into, I guess that, that led into um, the EP that came after Ascent, kind of having that similar feeling, but I think it felt, but because I wrote that with that concept in mind, I think it's a bit stronger in terms of that concept. Um, yeah. And I think musically, we wrote it with that in mind as well, so it flows much better.
0: In terms of just like the stuff with Cremation Lily as well, is that kind of an approach that you still take, or do you kind of approach how you do things again, specifically with the lyric side of Cremation Lily? Is that do you kind of have a different approach to how you do things now? Um, I think for a long time with Cremation Lily, it was pretty much the exact same approach. Like,
1: I always wanted each release to feel sort of encapsulated, feel sort of rounded, and like it's you couldn't hear a song off of it without hearing the rest of it if you know what I mean it kind of all made sense together which um which I still do um quite often more recently I've been doing and I mean just in the past couple of years or so uh, I've been working on more sort of one-off songs and I guess can't you know they don't really have anywhere to go after that but actually saying that like um I've put out the the tape more songs about drowning recently that has a, a sort of very distinct lyrical through path to it and then put out a single shortly afterwards that is kind of a continuation or a, or a like a prologue to that EP even so it's still I'm still working in those through lines and I think every stage every couple of years or so of the project has this new through line that you can you can determine either if it's through song titles um lyrics artwork or just what you know what i what i say about them in interviews i think there's always these these distinct parts and these distinct sort of um sort of eras i suppose yes. um of the project i was trying to think of a better word than that but, um, <laughs> these distinct time periods of the project um that all have that, that through line to them. Um, yeah. yeah. Definitely.
0: And just in terms of going back to matters, you mentioned kind of that you had that kind of first sort of break in, in the band and you've kind of openly said that you kind of had like struggles with yourself, like in terms of sort of mental health and things like that that were going on in the band and and things like that, which I think it's very sort of admirable that you've kind of taken that stance like it's very easy for that of kind of to dissipate and just nobody questioned it but you've very sort of spoken very openly about that issue and the reason I kind of bring that up is do you think that I don't know with without you kind of taking ownership and taking responsibility that Maths wouldn't have maybe have come back as what it was and done the next record and mm-hmm. that you would have been able to keep up the the relationships that you had with Matt and Alfie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely think with our relationship because it
1: is, you know, in my mind, even though we've had a couple of other members, Maths is at its core. It's me um, on vocals, Matt on guitar and Alfie on drums. Um, like our relationship, we've known each other at this point for, you know, what what year are we in 2020? It's set to look for some reason. It's um, <laughs> so, the type of year that it's been. Um, how could I forget? Um, so, we, you know, we've n- known each other for almost 15 years at this point. Um, yeah. I think the first maths practices were in 2006. So it's it's really it's really hard to keep up like a creative relationship anyone that's ever been in a band or you know ever had a uh, an art project with someone else knows it's really hard to keep up that creative energy and that openness um and for us it just got to the point where we were spending so much time together touring and writing music and practicing that we just needed a break i think and and I especially did, and I was struggling in terms of, you know, my own mental health and my own relationships and how I was dealing with the, the problems that I was having weren't product weren't sort of, they weren't, leading to you know our next great record they were leading to us completely hating each other and and yeah, not wanting to to or you know people hating me and not wanting to make music with me so um yeah we just took a step back we we decided um i guess it was 2010 maybe we decided to take a step back and focus on other things and i'd already started cremation lily recordings at that point um and everyone else and sort of had their own projects at that point that we're all working on. So it seemed like a good time to step back. And, and I thought that I was dealing with my issues back then, but actually what all I did really was just pull myself away from people because when I was around people, that's when the issues came up, you know, Um, or when they became externalized, um, but actually I didn't deal with anything whatsoever. Um, it just sort of kept kept piling on, and I think only recently really I've started to to um, sort of actually confront those those issues and kind of try and seek change and betterment um, but yeah, that was the thought at the time was just to try and take some time focus on other projects um, and then in two thousand and fourteen, when we came back, it just it just kind of felt like a good time to to you know make music again. We already had some demos and songs and then I think the um what's I can't remember what that album what the the fires courting the sea is that what that that's yeah. what that record is called that's so bad <laughs> it's because it's because that same year there was a cremation early album called fires frame the silhouette and it's a really similar album title so I sometimes give them <laughs> the, and the lyrics are, are very similar between both of them um Yeah, we just had songs basically and we had that desire. We'd had that time away from each other and we had that desire to start playing shows again. And I think we did like maybe two or three tours after that um, together and then another break. And actually the break from then until now is is much longer than the break we had from 2010 to 2014. But it feels so much shorter for some reason that that time felt so much longer i don't know
2: why yeah
0: and i don't want to kind of drag up any sort of past memories or like anything like that but just in terms of that kind of period like because as you say like i know what touring's like it can it can get a bit sort of groggy and things like that but was there kind of like on obviously i know you can only speak for yourself but was there kind of any animosity in that or was it just the fact that as you say like you weren't necessarily processing and dealing with other sort of mental health issues that maybe were cropping up and things like that where where was your kind of head out in that situation
1: I think I mean at the time I'm sure I thought otherwise I you know it probably was they probably felt like there was animosity but I don't actually think I don't think it's 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 things that I can't even remember now so it can't have been very Mm. consequential you know Um, (laughs) silly things that seem important at the time but actually when you look back on them you know don't amount to much um yeah I can't really remember I think it I think it was just a case of I just needed to I just needed to get away from people because I felt like when I was around people too much it sort of that's when the issues started to arise you know it's the same as it's the same in relationships as well or you know friendships you kind of start feeling like you're the problem because all these things keep going wrong yeah maybe if you just remove yourself um you know everyone would be better off um so it was a Mm. bit of that thought and I'm sure at the time there was like issues and and things as well but I can't remember what they were about um but Mm. yeah it was just it was just a case of trying to trying to sort of create more healthy um, relationships which as I said I didn't do at all Um, and I just basically spent those four years between 2010 and 2014 I just spent those four years just recording The Waves basically and releasing releasing tapes um, and becoming more and more sort of creating more and more of as I said before just like not wanting to become part of any scene or any community and just sort of waiting for people to come to me basically which is what i've always Mm. done
0: and i don't want to kind of put you on the spot if you can't remember this but when was the last math show uh it must have
1: been 2015 i assume i can't remember now though I'm,
0: i'm trying to think like the last time i saw you was in london and it was you guys the tidal sleep Svalbard mm. and I want to say Earth Moves at uh, birthdays mm-hmm. and that was like the last time that I was kind of seeing you guys and it, it was it was just after um the last EP kind of came out so yeah I think it must have been around that time
1: okay so it, it was uh, okay this is interesting I'm just looking back at our Instagram uh, that's not been active for a very long time but so we we did we did some shows in March, 2015. I guess we did a tour just before then as well. Then we did a tour in 2015, in May. Um, And then Svalbard, Tidal Sleep, uh, Earth Moves, yeah. That was 28th of October, 2017. So I guess we, I think we took a break between we did stuff in 2014, 2015, took a little bit of a break again, and then did some more in 2017. Yeah, And then we did October 2017. we did three shows Norwich, Bristol, London. And then we were booking a European tour for April 2018, which is flooding comes flooding back to me now. Um, and then we just decided to sort of lay the project. To rest again
0: um yeah cancelled cancelled the tour and then uh, haven't done anything since basically <laughs> <laughs> was there kind of any particular reason why, why you can't decided to cancel that tour or I can't remember exactly there was some sort of
1: logistics issues in terms of like the time that we all needed to get off from work and various things that yeah. made the tour quite difficult to start with and then I think it was that basically like someone couldn't get certain times off and like we needed to do two weeks to make it worthwhile for, you know, van rental and everything. And so we just decided to cancel. And I think at the time the thought was, Oh, we'll just do it in, you know, we'll do it in six months or so, or we'll do it when we next
0: can. Um, and we just, we just haven't since then. (laughs) Yeah. And because I think with maths, there's always been sort of like, an element of mystique and things like that. And obviously like even between the breaks, you've never kind of made a quote unquote official announcement saying we're, we're breaking up, we're going on hiatus or whatever. Mm -hmm. So this is purely from a fan perspective and a fan of your music. Is it kind of a case of that band is never say never kind of thing? Like if the opportunity arises, will that kind of be brought back to life?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's just going to, I think it's, similar this break is more similar between 2015 and 2017 that was kind of a break of just we were busy and you know we were thinking about it but we were just busy um and I think this break now is just a case of like people individually in the band sort of figuring out what they want from a band and what yeah what they hope to gain from it because obviously it you know when you're create when you're making um the music that we make and we're playing the type of shows we make, there's there's little if any financial gain to be had. That can't be yeah. your, your driving motivator because it's just it's you know, it doesn't exist. Um it never it never was with us, but well I mean, obviously <laughs> um, <laughs> but um like like what I want from maths at this point you know if we were to do a tour you know well i guess not this year but if we were to do a tour in the near future um what i would want from it is um like sharing those songs and sharing that experience with you know the people that come to the show you know that's and talking to people and and hearing the the new bands that are around now. And that was the real excitement about the shows in 2015 and 2017 was just that feeling like like so much has changed in this time and there's so many new faces and so many really good new bands. And it would be interesting to do that again, you know, this many years later and see all that again. Um yeah. so that's what I want out of it. Um and I think it's just a case of like Figuring out what everyone else wants out of it, um, yeah, as opposed to just doing it out of uh, a feeling like we should, you know, like we should all really want to do it for either the same reason or our own reasons. Um, yeah, I think I think eventually we will probably end up doing something. I don't think the last maths album has been released. You know, we were we were working on ideas for an album in 2017, 2018 that never really came to fruition. Um, but there's definitely stuff there's definitely songs that need to be recorded and tours and shows that need to be played still we just haven't we just haven't done them
0: but they they're there <laughs> yeah and i've spoken to you at length about maths so we'll get on to stuff with cremation early but before that there's one other kind of little subplot that i want to talk to you about which is this weird crossover that you have with wrestling and the fact that you're best friends with probably the greatest British wrestler at the moment, Zach Saber Jr. So, like, where did that kind of come from? How, How did you guys meet? And like, is it just, do you have an affiliation with the sport or is it just through him? How does that kind of come about? Um, So I've been a wrestling
1: fan for, you know, almost my whole life growing up, watched it as a kid with um, watching Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, and then had a bit of a break and got back into it when Stone Cold and The Rock were around, around uh, 97. I started watching it again and then got out of it again in around 2003, 2004. Um, And then got back into it again in around 2008 and I've and I've been watching since then so the way me and, and Zach met was um I went to a independent wrestling show in 2008 or 2009 um and he was wrestling on the show and I really liked his style because it was I'd been I started watching um more independent wrestling and the reason I went to that show is cuz um Brian Danielson um was on that show um, and I knew him from um, sort of some of the bigger independent wrestling shows that I've been watching on, yep. on the internet um, or downloading or getting DVDs of or whatever it was. Um, and I didn't know anything about the UK independent wrestling scene. So I went to that show, really liked a lot of the the UK guys. And then I, I didn't have my own MySpace page. So I messaged Zach to his MySpace page, but I did it from the maths page. And when I messaged him, um, he then came back and said, "I was at uh, one of your shows last week or two weeks ago at the Tap and Tin in Chatham," um, and so it just it just turned out that we were kind of we were mutual fans of each other's work yeah. um, already, and uh, yeah, then we just started talking about you know the wrestling that we liked. We both got I think quite similar tastes in in wrestling. Um, so, yeah, we just we used to just talk on um, on uh, what's it? What was it called? MSN Messenger. Yeah. Um, yeah. About Japanese wrestling. Continuously, basically. Um, and yeah, it's just just grown from there. And now, obviously, he's we were always like had like I would do something and then he would do something. And it kind of like independent wrestling is quite a lot like being in a band or you know, being a a DIY artist when you're on that independent level. Um, And we're always kind of, kind of egging each other on and kind of motivating each other. Um, And now he's like king of the world and one of the best in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, it's, it's, and yeah, we just, we've just been friends for, I, I guess over 10 years at this point, like 11 years or so. And it's one of those friendships where obviously the nature of what we both do, we, you know, we're away from out of the country or away on tour or, you know, moving here and there. Um, so we don't see each other that often, but, um, when we do, it feels like, you know, it feels like we, we haven't missed a step and we've been hanging out every week for the past 10 years. Um, yeah. Wrestling is a weird. Wrestling is really weird. Lots of my friendships in music have come from like a mutual interest in wrestling. So I met uh, Wickerface, Springs Eternal, through wrestling. Um, okay. On as well, because he's a, he's a big wrestling fan. Um, and yeah, who else? Uh, Plague Mother, who's a, a, a excellent uh, noise artist. Um, he um, he's a big wrestling fan as well. And obviously there's lots of, um, there's lots of stuff happening for people that aren't aware lots of stuff happening at the moment regarding, um, professional wrestling and lots of things being exposed and lots of people. that Yeah. Were, yeah. Lo- lots of, um, lots of stuff that needs to happen to create a healthier and safer and, um, actually inclusive community, um, and I think it's gonna and I think things like that have needed to happen for a long time in many different scenes, and I think hopefully um it's gonna happen in you know in every possible community that needs safety hopefully um people will get that bra will have that bravery to speak out um but yeah it's been a it's been a hard time to be a wrestling fan of the past couple of weeks it yeah, really yeah.
0: but most like. I, was just, I wasn't just—I was necessarily going to bring it up but just because you've sort of brought out the whole kind of speaking out sort of thing like I think the thing that's kind of got me most is just the overwhelming amount of people that have sort of come forward and like mm. we saw we kind of saw it back with when the whole Me Too thing started like that felt like a, a specific moment in time but I don't know. With this, it just like especially when it kind of first started, it was like every morning I was looking at Twitter or whatever, and there was ten new like allegations and things like that. So yeah, yeah, it's like my sort of love for wrestling has definitely weaned over the last sort of couple of months <laughs> and whatever. Yeah, I think it's def- it's going to
1: be a case of um, of like wrestling now has to win back. Its fan base to a certain extent, oh, that, definitely, you know, um, and it has to be the proof has to be in the actions, um, and you know, and event, and if this, and I'm sure it's not going to be, but you know, um, if it doesn't kill wrestling, it's just going to make it a better place, and it doesn't kill independent yeah. wrestling, it's just going to make it a better place and a stronger, more safe, inclusive place um, where you know everyone feels welcomed, um, and and hopefully that happens in you know i've always been part of like i say trying to create my own little scenes and my own little circles but the scenes that i've been even in passing through throughout making music for you know over half my life they've all had that sort of feeling of of inclusiveness and um this feeling of wanting to do the best but you know being humans people fail and people um do terrible things and say terrible things and hopefully through the the speaking out movement um like i say hopefully that just inspires smaller communities and and sort of communities of fans of things that should be that should be that should have those safeguards hopefully that will um hopefully that will inspire people to be held accountable and and inspire more safeguards and more safe practices um in all underground communities that's that's what i hope from it
0: yeah and i think like just as we're on the subjects i think the response of some of the promoters have i think obviously a lot of people have been questioning what some people have done but i like i want to give a a specific shout out to how riptide in brighton kind of dealt with it in terms of they were very sort of magnanimous in sort of saying they obviously supported and believed the survivors and they just the way they approached it was really well done and the the fact they've almost kind of taken a step back but not in a we're not going to say anything in terms of like this isn't our time to yeah be holier than now sort of thing and i think they're a kind of a shining light of what needs to happen in the future
1: yeah i think so as well and i think the most important thing at a time like this is to is to listen you know and 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 to take these things on board in everything that's happening in the world at the moment and everything that has been happening you know before the before the you know the movements and before the um the sort of media gets a hold of things yeah Um, the like I just hope there's, you know, accountability and, and, um, safety and yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult.
2: It's,
1: it just needs to be listening. You know, people just need to listen (laughs) and not, not have to have their voice heard every possible second or not have to put, you know, have their input every second. And I guess that is a real, and I'm guilty of it as much as anyone else. There is that real sort of feeling of, like well, you know, Instagram is there, or Twitter is there, or whatever else is there for you. So I'm just going to let it out. And I think often, yeah, yeah, what would we be better served to do is just to is just to listen to other people's experiences and listen to their real lived experiences, um, mm. and and have some empathy. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Hopefully that hopefully hopefully that will be where we
0: end up yeah well, as I said we'll get we'll get into cremation Lily now um so you kind of mentioned before like during that sort of initial break with with maths that you were sort of slowly starting to do stuff with cremation Lily and get the ball rolling on that project and I guess kind of in some semblance like back what you were doing when you were nine ten years old, kind of shaped in some form what cremation lily, Would create, but like my my question is like when you were kind of playing around with that idea, like I always find it interesting. With I guess cremation is a bit different because it's not straight up noise in that world, but it's kind of associated. But Mm. like it blows my mind how somebody can just sit down and be like, "Oh yeah, this is what I'm going to do." Like, so how did you kind of put those parts together to? create what you wanted Lily to be at its sort of start
1: <clears throat> so initially I was just um, I remember specifically I was using vocal outtakes or like extra vocals recorded for the maths ascent EP I was using those as the vocals on the first Lily demos I'm not sure if any of those got released in the end but at the time I was just sort of taking vocals that were already recorded and then running them through effects and, and um, sort of manipulating them. And <clears throat> obviously lots of inspiration was coming from, from um, the noise world, but also I still had that interest in, you know, in hardcore and screamo and other types of music. So it, it was just kind of me trying to make, create the sort of tone that I wanted to create on my own. With whatever means I had, you know, at hand. So, uh, at some points it's been, you know, created entirely on a computer, with you know nothing else going into it. At other points it's been, you know, a, almost like a full band in a recording studio. Um, at other points it's been, you know, all recorded directly to tape, and it just changes depending on on what I'm trying to achieve. But it's also just, I think the music is always uh, just a a product of my surroundings and what's available to me at the time. So like I say, at the moment, I'm just, you know, working on my laptop and recording vocals on a microphone with a blanket, you know, in front of me and behind me pinned up. Um, (laughs) And that's, and that's what I'm doing at the moment. And just doing really minimal things because I haven't got like a monitor set up to properly mix anything at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, initially it was just a case of, I was just trying to create something that was, I don't think, even though I am sort of part of the noise world and I do utilize like noise and feedback, I don't think I've ever made any recordings that are like, like unlistenable, you know, it's always, yeah, yeah. I've always tried to make something that is like pleasing to me in some way. Um, or, you know, at least conveys um, the tone or the mood of, of the lyrics or of the project.
2: Hmm.
0: And in terms of kind of, um, like, oh, I've just lost my train of thought now. That's all right. <laughs> but, in ter- like, the way that you've kind of, that's what I was going to say. So in terms of, like, when the project kind of started to get some, Legs in not maybe not necessarily in terms of performing or whatever, but in terms of you actually putting an outlet as cremationally. Like, did you initially find that there was a crossover between fans of maths and then coming over to cremationally? And w- was it kind of a bit like, if there was, were, were they a bit like, what the fuck is this kind of thing? Because it is a bit of a left turn.
1: Yeah, I'm there might have been, but I never. I don't think I ever mentioned cremationally to like via any maths channels. Right, okay. You know what I mean? Like I never sort of used our mailing list or whatever to promote cremationally. So anyone that found it, found it on their own. Um, and I never, you know, I mean, I've barely done any, you know, like press or reviews or anything like that for cremationally throughout 10 years, of, almost 10 years of doing it, at this, over 10 years at this point. Um, it's just been people finding it organically so I think I think actually only you know a few years ago and maybe even recently the people who knew maths at a time or remember maths or you know still listen to maths are just finding out what creation really is um hmm. and I think there is like there's a crossover I can see how people could be a fan of both but I could also see how they could absolutely not be a fan of both and you know not, you know, only like one or the other that that would make perfect sense to me as well. But I think there's definitely mm. a crossover, and I think in um, the last EP that I did as Cremation early, that crossover I think is even more obvious than it's ever been.
0: Yeah, and in terms of kind of like the actual sort of outlet, in terms of not necessarily like the components that you're using to create the sounds, but again, kind of. On a more sort of lyrical kind of basis like i'm not mm-hmm. saying i've kind of sat through and read every single through lyric but just from the the surface feeling of it it feels like cremationally is a lot more kind of personal and cathartic than maybe maths was mm-hmm. and from like recording to recording you can kind of I don't know. It kind of feels like a timestamp of like where you are at that time and, f- and point of frame. So is mm-hmm. that kind of how you approach cremation Lily? Because obviously you've done, I can't, I, can't, I lost count of how many releases you've actually done sort of under the cremation Lily banner. So is that how you approach it? Is like right, I've got this idea. I'm in this frame of mind. Boom! This is what I want to do. That's that done. Onto the next thing, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, quite often it is like that. Very, it's very rare that I'll. Um... I always work on things in like projects. So I'll I'll be like, okay, I'm working on this project. So I'll just create, create, create for that project and then onto the next thing. And then onto the next thing, there's very, and it does happen, but it's quite rare that I'll go between different projects and get in these different, you know, have to adjust to these different minds, mindsets. And I think that's evidenced through the fact that the cremation of the album Fire's Frame, the silhouette came out the same around the same time, or was written at around the same time as the Maths album, The Fire's Caught in the Sea. Obviously, similar similar title, but lyrically they're very similar as well. It's because I was yeah. doing both at the same time, and that's just where that's just where my headspace was. And some of the lyrics are the same across across both albums. um So yeah, it's just I just I can't force myself to, and this has been a real issue in terms of like collaborating with other people or like taking like taking every opportunity that's afforded to me I can't I find it really hard to force myself into a specific mindset to create I just I just do it when I when I feel like I can so you know I did the 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 um, more songs about drowning EP which is one thing and and then immediately started writing new songs that are completely different and completely unrelated to that. You know, um, some of the same ideas are in there and I've definitely learned a lot from from working on on a more like explicitly melodic type of music as cremationally. But um, what I'm working on now is just like, it's just really sparse piano, like piano and drone and tape um, ballads basically. Um, hmm. And... I think it all kind of builds up and then eventually you'll you get like you know you get that project and then you get the next album and that incorporates things from the last few tapes into it it's just kind of the way it
0: works with cremation lily um yeah and in terms of kind of like the um that's trying to i was worried this like the way that you've kind of built it up is in terms of as I say like the, the out like you've done numerous sort of releases through it sort of thing mm-hmm. like in terms of I guess your kind of body of work in in some aspects do you is, is you always kind of like forward looking I guess is that was what I'm trying to trying to say is rather than like think oh well I used this element of sound and piano and whatever on this EP so I can reintroduce it again on the next thing or are you always experimenting with a different sound and looking to to kind of evolve the sound in that aspect
2: yeah I
1: think I think it's a little of both and I think you know just create on their own and don't have you know producers or songwriters working with them are the same there's always that like idea of you listen to your old work and you're like oh, I could do that better now you know if I could just do this this and this so there's always an influence from what i previously worked on um so you know I've used piano in in cremation early since the very beginning and and in the last in more songs about drowning there's um like a, a piano track and and the whole ending is just a piano is just a couple of piano tape loops um and so it it kind of feels like the next if you were to listen to more songs about drowning the next logical uh release to me would be okay it's just all that piano it's yeah. so you go you go through this album of electronics and noise and you end on this really long piano piece and then that goes into into more piano so yeah and that's what I'm working on at the moment i do have other projects that i'm kind of that i think expand on the ideas on the songwriting of um more songs about drowning um, and I have sort of some songs that are kind of in the bag and ready to go almost um, but I'm just the person where I keep reopening the project file or keep re-listening <laughs> yes. to the master take and just tweaking one little thing for like a year and then eventually it comes out but I think it's healthy to um, I think it's definitely healthy to make something and then sit on it for a little while and then go back to it just to make sure you still you know, you still like it. Yeah. Um, throughout a lot of commission I would just sort of make something and then put it out straight away. You know, I would listen to them. I would listen back to it, obviously, um, several times, but it was just a feeling of like, this was just a, a snapshot of a time and a place. And I'm a little bit more yeah. measured with it now and a little bit more aware of what I'm putting out. But there's still, mm-hmm. there's still that um, aspect of like, I'm just working on, I'm just sort of focused on one project at a time so each release yep. feels like its
0: own feels like its own thing mm. and in terms of kind of like making cremation Lily into sort of not just a, a recording project but obviously going out and doing it live and obviously now you're out touring or not currently but when you can touring as much as you you can sort of thing Mm-hmm. Going from being in a band setting to it just being you and a laptop and maybe one or two other kind of ingredients sort of thing, was that a, a daunting thing for you? And, like, how did you kind of approach it the first time you did it? Well, the, the Cremation Lily live sets
1: have changed more times than, than I can even imagine as the project goes through <laughs> yeah. different, through different um, <clears throat> sort of time. <clears throat> Excuse me. through different time frames um and as the project changes the live set has to change along with that so initially it was just me a couple of effects pedals for the vocals and then a tape of noise that played back or like synth or whatever and that was it and it was easy because I already I knew what it was like to you know be on stage with a microphone yeah and then as it turned to more like electronic and and ambient music um and started using like laptops and samplers and things live that was more daunting and more sort of confusing because it was outside of my comfort zone but th- that's why i liked doing it because it was it was kind of there's a bit of a uh, sort of it's nice to test yourself and push yourself and, and put yourself in in situations that you know you're not used to um and then again recently so um for the last Cremation league Tour, we did it as me and Knifed Out of Existence and we both played our sets at the same time, basically, and backed each other up. So, you know, I would be playing okay. my songs and then Dean, Knifed Out of Existence, would provide extra noise for my set and then he would play his songs and I would provide extra stuff for his set. Um, and then I think, I think the way with the current sound that commercially has like this chop and change of different genres and singing and like ambient parts and how varied it is. I think it needs like that presence of two people on the stage because one person just going through this, like up and down all these different genres and all these different influences seems can seem quite jarring. Whereas when you have, I think two different, Personalities and dynamics on stage, it becomes more, becomes more interesting. Um, and you can yeah. play off each other a little bit more, and and so yeah, Dean Knife no Doubt Existence will be joining me on the um, tour with Laddis Butte that's happening in hopefully in November. Um, so yeah. it will be like for the first time, promotionally will be performed
0: will be performed as a, a, a two piece together. And in terms of, like, I guess what I wanted to get at was that sort of first kind of sort of steps as cremationally, like going from having other people behind you to it just being you. Mm. Was that something that I guess because you said because you knew like what to do with the, yeah. on a stage with the microphone? What did you feel comfortable or was it a kind of a weird, unnerving sensation? No, I think I felt,
1: and it's that it's a bit of a safety blanket of when you're making. You know, noise or something that's a bit rougher like that like like in maths it always felt like this safety blanket like the worst that can happen is you make a mistake that no one notices basically you know yeah. it was it's always felt that way um, and it's, and so yeah initially it just felt very natural and easy and it just became more sort of daunting and a bit more terrifying as soon as I stripped away some of that um, distortion and sort of started making things that were meant to be a bit more soothing um, and a bit more um, sort of subtle. That's when it became really difficult for me and quite challenging because I felt like I didn't have that safety blanket of you know the worst you can do is make is make a mistake that no one will notice. <laughs> yeah, it turned. It got to a point where people would actually notice the mistakes now, so I had to be a bit more. Um, right, I felt <laughs> like I had to be a bit more. Um, bit more prepared and a bit more um a bit more mindful about what I was doing um yeah but and it's it's kind of now it's in between that like there's enough looseness to it and doing lots of vocals live there's enough lo- looseness that you can kind of be prepared and unprepared and it's, be- it's probably best if you are a little bit of both um,
2: mm. yeah
0: and in terms of like constructing a live set like as you said having the doing the thing with Dean kind of opened it up to sort of potentially doing cremationally more as like with two people and things like that but again kind of going back to the extensive catalogue that you have under cremation lily and you're always constantly writing new stuff like how do you approach like what you want to go into a live cremation lily set is is there some elements of kind of just doing it on the fly or is it very structured in what you do
1: um it's mostly i most i try and think about something and i I always think about like what tracks and what songs will be played during sets but then there's always room for experimentation and there's always room for um, sort of improvisation during a cremation that they set which is nice because it feels more like um, even though you're relying on electronic elements, it feels more like you're in a band, you know, you can kind of jam for a while or you can improvise for a while, which is nice. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Like it got, I think the La Dispute tour in April only got cancelled, like, or postponed like three weeks before it was meant to actually happen or something yes. like that. It wasn't long before. And I hadn't thought at all about the set <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, at that point. Um and I, I haven't really thought about the the set in November either, but I think we'll be, I think, I don't know because I've never seen it, but I think the Cremation sets are, are best when it, it kind of goes through these, these different movements and there is, it's not just, okay, here's a set of all of my, you know, songs from this time period. Here's like, a, yeah. just, you know, it's more interesting and makes more sense as a representation of the project when it has these different ups and downs and through paths, and you can hear little elements um, from different sort of different time periods of the project all in one set, I think is more Mm. interesting. Um, So yeah, that's, I think that's what they'll be going forward. Um, And there's always going to be, because of the nature of the project being mostly a recording project, there's always going to be songs and, you know, time periods where i can't perform any of those songs live and it or it wouldn't make sense to perform them live um yeah but there's as i go on there's more and more songs that make sense live so um yeah we've got i think i could you know i've done probably the longest sets that i've done was like an hour or an hour and an hour and a half and then the shortest sets have been 10 minutes so there's there's enough variation in the project to yeah yeah sets of any type or any length um, mm. yeah yeah I'm looking forward to the I'm interested I don't I've never played I don't think I've ever played with commissioner Lily like on a tour with a band before I think this will be the first time that I've ever done that so yeah um, yeah it'll be interesting
2: yeah
0: and in terms of kind of like the aesthetic like you mentioned earlier obviously when you were younger kind of using paint and to create artwork and the kind of notion of like waves and things is something that has sort of carried over with cremation early and like
2: mm-hmm.
0: water and nautical sort of base themes is, is something that's very prominent with what you do so where has that kind of come from and uh, and i don't want to say it's an obsession but what what's the kind of whole premise of like wanting to kind of focus around water
1: i just it's just something that i like and it's the same with everything that I've done is cremationally or with the label strange rules. It's just stuff that I like and it's just my tastes basically. Um so I think I started incorporating more water just through the fact that I was writing a lot about my childhood and, and I spent, you know, periods of my childhood in Greece or in uh South End in on the coast. Um and so, you know, when thinking about those places and reflecting on on that water comes into it because you're you're close to it all the time and then I also lived with my partner um, in Hastings and then in Brighton for quite a few years and we lived right on the seafront so you know when I'm recording vocals you can just hear the beach and the sea in the background sometimes on on some of the recordings yeah. from Hastings because we were literally living right on the right on the seafront and when you're make when you're working with field recordings as well and tapes and and the sea is right there, then you're going to just record the sea, you know, the whole time. Yep. Um, and then, so that, yeah, it was building up in that way. And then, um, and I've spoken about it before, but like had a, a near drowning experience in 2015, I think it was. And then that kind of influenced the next, you know, however long, probably up until more songs about drowning as the, as the name suggests, um, kind of just ha- had a real big influence on on everything going forward from
0: there well that's because that's kind of why I wanted to sort of broach that subject because as you say you've have you've mentioned this incident where you you did nearly drown kind of thing and I think it's interesting that rather than use that as a deterrent or uh, an element of fear or anything you've kind of embraced it and kind of used that into your art so I don't know like I don't want to say that it shaped you as a person, as an artist or anything, but do you feel that in some aspects that poignant moment in your life has kind of shaped where you're kind of the direction of where your art is going?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think now I feel a bit more free of it. Like, and that was the idea behind more songs about drowning as well, was to kind of, was to kind of, kind of, put a, a little bit of a full stop on that. Although I don't think there'll ever be a, a real full stop on anything when it comes to cremationally. Um but just kind of be able to be inf- going forward to be able to be sort of inspired by it and informed by it, but not like that be all that I'm doing because I think for so long, that has been basically all that I've written about and every basically every release has had that at its core and I think it's now nice that I can, yeah, you know, like I say, be inspired by it and utilize it and use it as almost like a tool for creation, but not be the only thing that I can that I can create and make work about. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's going to be your running because I'm going to stick on that subject for a minute. That's okay. But, but like, just in terms of your kind of, mindset of when that incident was happening like obviously feel free to completely ignore this question but like what what was going through your head and like what were you feeling in those moments like because I know that you've kind of said in previous like interviews and stuff that when you kind of came out obviously you'd kind of would thrashed against these rocks and you had all these cuts and bruises and things but like Mm -hmm. what were the emotions that you, you were going through at that time
1: I just wanted to get out of the water and, and not drown, <laughs> you know, it was all, I, all I was thinking was I need to get out of here. I need to get out. I need to get out. And, uh, and that's it pretty much. And it, it didn't, I think the effects of it sort of hit. I remember, um, shortly afterwards, just sort of being in our, in our house and just me and my partner both sort of, because she was there at the time as well. Um, both just caught ourselves and we've just been staring into the corner of the room in silence for you know 10 minutes without realizing and it's a bit of that I think it's a bit of like PTSD almost feeling like like having that shock to the system and that carried on for me for quite a while afterwards and I recorded the tape um sea spray perfumes just afterwards and so that's like the best um sort of way that I can the best way I could describe it was what I recorded on that tape. Um, and I think that's on, I think it's on my band camp. So if anyone wants to, wants like an insight into how I felt at the time um, that was kind of recorded. I think it was, rec- I think maybe we were almost drowned on, you know, say the Monday and then I recorded that tape over the weekend following. Um, yeah. So it's really like a, a very exact feeling of that time. Yeah, basically I just wanted to get out of the water and, and not and not die. That
2: was pretty much <laughs> that's, it. That's fair enough.
0: And just one other thing that I kind of wanted to touch upon with Cremation least specifically is I think last time that I saw you was when you did the tour with Wicker phase and obviously you mentioned that you guys kind of met through sort of talking about wrestling and, and things mm-hmm. like that. But obviously he has this take away the whole tiger's jaw kind of side of things. Like there's a synonymous nature of him that he's obviously part of the whole goth boy clique kind of world. And now kind of by association, you're kind of in that world as well sort of thing, which is like, I think is really cool, but also like really sort of strange. So how did that kind of come about? And has that kind of... Opened you opened more doors for you in in any aspects. Um, I don't think it's opened
1: any doors. If anything, I think it's confused, sort of anyone that's been listening to to cremationally for any period of time. Um, confused most, and and sort of made sense to a few. Um, <clears throat> but I think, like, I feel a real connection with with. Um, with Adam with Wickerface because we both sort of were in bands that had that that were known for one thing and then started doing our own things separately and kind of built from the ground up something completely different that you know maybe fans of that original band didn't like or were critical of or weren't interested in um, and that and I sort of. I really like that idea of like I've said a couple of times of like just making your own scene and and kind of letting the people that are drawn to you be drawn to you and and um, yeah, I think me and, and Adam have got that that sort of kinship in that way, and we both came to what we're currently doing through quite similar paths um, yeah i don't I don't think like obviously um i think the first thing that we did was um like adam is on a song on on um more songs about drowning um but before that i'd worked with Dubs, who um has also you know works with with wicker phase and i think that maybe opened some new listeners to to cremation early but i don't think uh, it's probably not the type of thing that they're going to be interested in anyway i think <laughs> <laughs> the the same people are, are listening to creationally and the same types of people are, are finding creationally as they ever have and it's all through the same way it's just you know word of mouth or um, rec- personal recommendations or you know
2: it's, it's
1: I'm, no, I'm i don't do any marketing i'm not part i'm not like officially part of any labels so um the only way people can possibly find me is through, is through, you know, sharing the music basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's the same, I think it's the same basic fan base that has ever been. Obviously it slowly grows over time and new people find it and old people come and go. Um, and definitely the fan base now is, is as big as, as bigger than it's ever been. Um, and quote, considerably really considering when i first started i the first combination any tape i think I, I did 19 copies and it took me about five months to sell out <laughs> um, <laughs> but um but uh yeah i think it's just growing it's just growing a natural and organic way you know every time you put out new music some people will be new people will be interested in what you're doing uh yep. camp will send them an email or spotify will force it down their throats or whatever you know whatever happens happens
2: yeah
0: and just in terms of the kind of like the whole opening doors kind of thing because obviously with maps you mentioned like you were you planned to do this european tour but it never panned out and you were very much kind of confined to to the uk but obviously with cremationally you've gone across the atlantic you've gone to the states and things like that so was that like not necessarily a shock to the system, but were you a bit like, oh, I'm traveling with this project rather than like it just being you in the, in your bedroom or whatever and doing the odd mm-hmm. show here and there sort of thing. Like, was that quite a, an eye opener when that opportunity arose? Yeah, definitely. It felt and it still
1: feels like really gratifying, especially when you're doing a solo project. I think even more so. Sometimes it feels really gratifying when you, you know, even get asked to to play a show halfway around the world. And you know, Mm. I've been to dozens of countries at this point and and played, you know, in many different countries and played in many different types of rooms. And and the great thing about the project is because it attracts so many different types of people and so many different types of listeners and brings lots of people together. On the same cremation a tour, I can play you know, underground basement noise shows. I can play like big venues with insane sound systems, not big, but, you know, bigger venues with crazy sound yeah. systems. I can play on shows with bands with like crappy PAs. Uh, like the, it's never just like, okay, now the project has reached this point and now I only play clubs or, you know, now the project <laughs> yeah. has reached this point and you only play, you know, this type of venue it's, it's still completely variable and it still changes because of the, I guess, the nature of the project and how long it's been going. and Like, on the last tour me and Dean did together, um, every night there was people at the shows who found out about Cremation Lily through Zack Sabre Jr. having a move called Cremation Lily. And then oh, okay. they, they Googled it and found out, you know, that it was this music project or something. And every, I think every show had wrestling fans at the show who found out about cremation cool. through through that through that um, through that move. And it's the same with you know now cremation shows. It's been a while since I played one, but like it's a real melting pot of like all the types of people that I like. Basically, you've got like your you know people that are interested in underground music and noise. You've got the people that are like more interested in the like. Melodic and emo side of things, and then you've got people that are more interested in like and just found it through wrestling. And
2: yeah, just, yeah,
1: it's a really I haven't I'm sure it exists, and I'm sure everyone experiences this, but to me, it feels really unique in terms of like these are just all like the the one thing that brings all these people together is they're interested in what I'm doing, but also they're just really nice and like the, type of <laughs> yeah. that would, the types of people that I'd want to hang out with anyway. Um, so yeah, that's. I can't remember what we were talking about now. I was just thinking about <laughs> about the, oh, the weird cool. shows. Um, but, yeah, it's just really nice to... Oh, yeah, opening doors and playing. Um, yeah, it's just really nice to, to play shows where I feel like you're just playing in a room full of like-minded people. And, you know, whether there's, you know, 20 or, you know, 300 people there, it feels exactly the same. It just feels like a, a gathering of people that have in some way been drawn to what you're doing. Uh, yeah yeah, it's it's really nice and it's especially nice when you can go and explore new places while doing it as well
0: yeah and just like I know you've obviously been to other countries but I want to stick with the states just specifically because I think Mm
2: -hmm.
0: in terms of music like they have a uh, kind of a similarity to how we approach things over here but at the same time, it's completely opposite end of the scale. So obviously, with the world that you're in, like as you say, you can kind of slot into a various sort of different bills and lineups.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: you the first time you went over there. Like, what was your kind of experience of it, and w- what was the response that you kind of got? Um, the first time,
1: I think the second ever cremationally show was in. New York at, um, at St Vitus which is like a metal oh, wow. uh, like a metal bar um, yeah yeah with like a venue at the back and uh, that's quite a big room really and it was probably only like half full or something like that but that felt pretty that was 2013 I believe January 2013 that felt quite fulfilling that like this thing that at that point it only I'd been doing the project like and it had been less than two years since the first tape came out and hadn't released that much music and it felt it felt quite um sort of satisfying to know that there's you know enough people in a city that I you know that I had no connections to There's enough people that are interested in the project um and then I played again when I went to visit Zach he lived in New York for a couple of years. So we went a couple of times um, during that period and played, I think that was around 2015, 2016, played a couple of shows in that time as well. and, And similar experiences, like it's just really, it's always, a, it's always shocking. I think this comes from being in like punk bands and underground and playing underground music. It's always shocking when there's more than, you know, twenty people there. I, like, <laughs> yeah. When people when people ask me, oh, was it a good show? Was it was there lots of people there or whatever? Like I'm always like, Oh yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And I think about it and I'm like I'm impressed by like fifty people at this point because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um yeah, yeah, the shows in New York have always been really nice and always been like quite satisfying and and um they've always felt like it's been worth the trip. Um it's been the same with shows that I've played everywhere, like um, in Barcelona, I, I remember I flew in, got straight off the plane, went straight to the venue, set up, played the show, and then my flight back was at like three in the morning or something, or four in the morning, so I just went straight from the venue back to the airport, and then yep. and then <laughs> flew straight back, but... Like even though I didn't get, I've never been to Barcelona other than that. Even though I didn't get to see anything of it, it's still satisfying to go somewhere. Yeah, and, yeah. And you know, have a room full of people and and know that um, they've been drawn to the project for for whatever reason.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to start sort of winding up now because I've taken up way too much of your time. But that's all right. In terms, in terms of kind of like how we kind of started this conversation, you said that like obviously quit your job to pursue doing cremation lily as much as as possible in terms of touring and things like that Mm -hmm. and obviously you mentioned that that you're married obviously like got a new house and things like that so how obviously I know at the moment times are very weird and different but like when you are out touring and things like that how do you kind of balance the sort of marriage life and things like that because I think being out as much as possible is great on paper, but obviously there's going to be uh toss and like put, give and takes kind of mm-hmm. things. So is that something that you've kind of sat down and had a conversation with your wife with and, and how have you kind of broached that and how do you kind of keep that stability, I guess?
1: Um, I think, I think what's important is like, and what's always been important for like my friendships and relationships is to like have that understanding of each other and know and accept what what makes the other person happy you know and and what they find fulfilling or um and supporting that um so it's never it's never been an issue um and and basically everyone that i tour with now like on the on the um wicker phase tour i dj'd for 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 adam last October or November I think it was um, for 10 shows or so and almost everyone in the van had a significant other or you know a house to go back to and we're just sort of I think I think that's just the people that uh, you know are drawn together kind of have those similar experience have that similar background or um, yeah it's always been really it's always been really chill and I feel like my partner Jenny is very um, supportive in that sense and basically just wants me to do if if something sort of eases any um, sort of uh, like I said like issues with mental health or anything is like satisfying or gratifying in whatever way then she would support me doing that anything and it's likewise anything that, that helps her in that way I'd be fully supportive of. Um, so, yeah, it's never it's never been an issue at all. And, you know, it's not like I'm going to go out. the Cremation is a project, couldn't support being on tour for six months of the year anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's only going to be bits here and there. Um, uh, but, yeah, the rest of the time is just spent making music and I can do that from home. So, yeah, not, not too bad at all.
0: And in terms of that, like, as you say, kind of where you can make music from home, do you ever use her as like a as a sounding board in in some aspects of like if you're kind of playing around with an idea? Do you ever turn to her and be like, "What do you think of this?" Or is it not her wheelhouse at all? Uh, occasionally, not
1: not not very often, but occasionally, if I've got like an idea for something and I'm not quite sure what it is, you know, like um, then it can then having like another set of ears on it can help. Um, and she's, she's like, I met her through, um, maths basically as well. So she has yep. got a, she's got a taste in music and we have lots of things in common in terms of our tastes in music. Um, but actually I find it is, it's only recently have I started like sending what I'm working on to different people. Um, so, you know, um, someone like Doves, for example, has been a, a person I've collaborated with a lot over the past couple of years um <clears throat> has been really helpful in terms of like it's just good sometimes to have another set of ears on what you're doing you can get so wrapped up in especially on your own wrapped up in the little details of something that you miss that you miss that everything else like the the whole picture is crap you know you could be working on this one <laughs> yeah. little detail and actually missing out on the fact or missing out on the direction that it could go in or missing out on just something that would actually make a real difference to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, Jenny helps sometimes. Um, but more often than not, it's just this sort of small group of this small little network that I've built up, um, yeah. of, uh, of people that I feel that I, that I feel confident in their tastes enough that I know that they, a won't just say everything is good and, be they'll have like real
0: um constructive criticism if they have it yeah cool right then how i usually like to end this is with a, a bit of a swerve ball question but it might be a bit difficult for you because obviously you change how you perform your sets so mm. how i usually end it is to ask my guest what your favorite song is but your, the favorite song you perform live so mm. i don't know do you have a favorite cremation release song that you play live or not um as cremation lily uh favorite song i perform live
1: i don't know i I like doing um lovers against the rocks live that's good because there's so many different versions of that song i can do like mashups of the different versions of it yeah so it's not the same every time um yeah probably that one i really like doing deep blue which is a song um that i did with mercy uh, I think at the start of last year uh, because it's so clean and it's such heavy bass that's really fun live um, and then in maths the song that we we all love doing live was, I can't even remember what it's called now it's on the Ascent EP it's the third song on the Ascent EP I can't remember what it's called <laughs> <laughs> but whatever that one is we always yeah, yeah, yeah. always really like to do live
0: um, yeah yeah <laughs> Perfect. Brilliant. Zen, thank you very much for, for your time this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Thank you. No worries. Take it easy, dude. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you to Zen for taking some time out of his day to have a little chat with me. Um, as always, you can keep up to date with what he's doing uh, with Cremation Elite via all the normal social media um, platforms which will be linked in the description of this episode as per usual um, along with all the math stuff even though they're not particularly active at the moment who knows it could be something that creeps up in the future fingers crossed for that one personally um, but that is it for another week again whether this is your first time listening or the 157th time listening please subscribe rate review uh five stars would be preferable. Thank you very much. Um and support the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Justin Insight Podcast. Um but yeah, that is it for another week. Thank you for stopping by the Justin Insight Podcast and I'll see you soon.